Good morning. Father God, we just do thank you, Lord God, that we are gathered together today, Lord God. The first gathering, as Adam said, in 2022. And I pray, Lord God, that we would hear your heart, your voice, not my opinions, not my ways. Lord, always your ways. I thank you, Father, for every single child of yours that is sitting in this building, Father God, and all that's theirs. And, and I ask that you bless them. I, I pray, Lord God, that we would all here have a greater revelation, Father God, of who you are and what we mean to you, Lord God, and the extent that you, you have gone to free us and to deliver us. And Lord God, this message is simple but powerful, Lord, and I just pray that our hearts would be awakened by it. Love always awakens our soul, Lord God, and I just pray, even though our bodies are cold, that our hearts would leave warmed with the passion of the love of God. Amen. So the Lord gave me one verse three weeks ago now, <laughs> but he gave me one verse. Um, sometimes he just gives you one verse, and then you have to uh, put it together as an encouraging word so you don't just get up and just sit back down, right? But... Um, the one verse was this, that many waters cannot quench love, and it's in Song of Solomon, so I'm going to be going around that whole theme about the love of God. His fervent, unstoppable, unquestionable love, he pours it on our hearts, he awakens us to truth so that we can face anything in the coming years, and in this coming year. Because I was thinking if somebody was to say to me, not that I'm a prophetess, of course, at, at all, but if somebody was to say to me, what do you think is coming in 2022? I really feel like I would say he's saying many things, and we know that he is. He says many things. But the most important thing to know for this year going forward is the love, the power of his love, to really know his love. And unfortunately, sometimes some things are so familiar that they lose their power, right? We hear it all the time. God loves you. God loves you. I had a friend who used to uh, give out tracts, and then she stopped, and she would just, just say to people, God loves you. Jesus loves you. You go through McDonald's, she gives the money and says, Jesus loves you. And it was very simple. She did it all the time. But there was sometimes I thought, you know, is that enough? And we just hear it all the time. So we don't really understand the fullness of his love, the power of it, the extent of it. So I just want to, um, this morning, I just want to read some scriptures testifying of that love and a few examples of uh, where people were touched by that love. And his promise to us in this building, his children, that no matter what, you guys all look like statues, <laughs> that no matter what, his love is penetrating our hearts and our lives, and he's going to go with us forward like he always does. But he really wants us to grab hold of this this year. It's, it's, it's powerful. So in the Song of Solomon, there was a Shulamite woman. And she's searching, we know, for the shepherd. I'm not going to go through all of Song of Solomon, just kind of go around a couple scriptures. Um, but here she is. She's looking for the shepherds, the one who had touched her heart. She, had, she was introduced to him and fell. She ran across him, maybe on a path. And so something happened. It was like a small beginning for her. But she never forgot his love. He promises to come back. And um, so the whole book really is, is wrapped around in those just few chapters about her search for the Lord, which I believe is really a picture of a lot of people have different opinions about the book, but I really believe that it's a picture of Christ in his church, right? Um, how he has touched, she had been touched by his love, describes him as she searches, she's constantly saying, my, my, my beloved is more dazzling than 10,000. Sometimes we don't read it because it sounds kind of weird and, 
you know, um, just like a love story, like if you're not that type of person, it can seem kind of weird. But the truth is Jesus Christ is our beloved, and he is more dazzling than ten thousands of ten thousands, not just outward, but also inward. There's so much of him. There's so much of who he is that we really quite don't always grasp of all his goodness and all his power. So she, like we should be, is searching for him, and she continually says, have you seen him? You know, in the song Yeshua, they sing, my beloved is more beautiful among ten thousands and thousands. They sing it over and over again. You can never get tired of hearing it, right, when you listen to that song? And it's true. Jesus, our beloved, is more beautiful than ten thousands of ten thousands. The beauty of the shepherd, her shepherd, kept her from gazing at the darkness. And that's the point when we go into 2022 or anything that goes on in our life. You know, there's different measures and, of darkness. But when we know how beautiful he is, and as we gaze at him and our heart is seeking him, like she did, she wouldn't stop until she found him. The beauty of his presence, the knowledge of his unstoppable love will keep our hearts from despair and will keep, our, keep us in faith in times of fear. And we all have times of fear. The power of his love cannot be fully understood. It doesn't always penetrate the veils that are over our hearts and our minds. We say that we know he loves us, but if that were true, the fear and the doubt that we have would never lead us to despair. He wants us to know a greater measure of his love. Have I ever forsaken you? Have I, have I never done what I've promised to do? You might not see it yet, but he always comes through for us, right? Every single person in this room can say he's always come through for us. And there's things he hasn't come through for yet, but we know he's going to, right? So despair tries to put out the love of God. Hardships and heartaches try to put out the flame of God. So this morning we're going to read the words of truth and carry them into 2022. It's a simple message for 2022, and yet it's powerful. His love never stops. In Song of Solomon 8, 7, um, she says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Meaning, the many waters of life, the trials, the tribulations, the floods that come upon us, the floods that have come upon us, those that will continue to come, they cannot quench the love of God. They cannot stop him from, from seeking you out and helping you. It cannot stop the love that's in you from trusting in him. The waters cannot sweep you away from him. Another translation is sweep away. So the many waters, many floods will not drown it. The word translated re means drown, may also mean sweep away. He's not going to sweep you out of his hands. He's not going to let the trials sweep you away and that you don't cling to him and understand that you, that you still can have faith in him no matter what's happening, right? Your trials and concern will not sweep you away from his love. It cannot be put out. We need to understand that. God's love cannot be put out. It, is, it cannot be put out. It cannot be put out. Say it. It cannot be put out. All the armies of the kingdom of darkness cannot stop the powerful force of God's love. All the floodwaters of negativity around you cannot, be, cannot darken your vision of the beauty of his love. Have you ever been in a dark place, but you're still kind of groping for him? You're still looking for him. You don't quit. You feel like you quit. Look at the guy, the man in the garden, right, the, at the tombs who everybody would have thought he quit, but obviously the demoniac had a cry in his heart and God crossed over that day. Jesus crossed over and brought deliverance to him. And so there's always a flame burning. He will not let it go out. All the floodwaters of negativity around you cannot come to darken your vision of the beauty of his love. The voice of doubt within man cannot put out his love. The love 
uh, the voice of doubt cannot put out a love. The voice of our love of our Lord will never be extinguished. Be confident in his commitment to you. We have to look at what his word says about God to fully understand this. And these are scriptures that you know, but I pray that they penetrate you even further. Romans 8.35 says this in the, NA, in the New American Standard. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Who will separate? This is, I think, in the Amplified now. Who will separate, pull you apart, causing you to withdraw from him? Can anything do that? Can anything pull you? Can any force pull you out of his hands? Is there anything, anybody, any circumstance that you are in right now that is able to defeat the love of God over you? Is there anyone mighty or more powerful to stop his love from accomplishing all things concerning you? Of course, the answer is no. Nothing and no one. He is able to stop the destruction of the enemy. He is able to keep you in the palm of his hands. He is able to watch over and protect you as he himself intercedes for you, which is amazing to me. We feel alone sometimes. So who will pray? For, you know, who can I pray with? Who can I call? Why doesn't anybody call me? And yet Jesus Christ, our Messiah, is interceding for us day and night without ceasing. It's pretty amazing, his love, isn't it? He himself is interceding. This love is greater. <clears throat> this love is greater than our intellect. It cannot be fully taught. God's love within our hearts. Believe his love is unstoppable as it awakens us to faith. Who is able to separate us from the love of Christ? It's not just any love, he says. He says who the question is, who can separate us from his love? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? His love for us is beyond all comprehension. His love for us is beyond destruction, beyond all love. And Paul describes some things that may make you feel that you're separated. And that's what the enemy does. He tries to make you feel that you're separated. You don't feel his love. You don't feel that you're worthy. You don't feel, you feel like on the bottom instead of on the top. He loved you better yesterday than he does today. There was, I, I heard a song this morning. I had never heard. It's an old hymn. And this is just some of the words in it. It says, the love of God is greater far than the tongue of, or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. And so sometimes we think if we are in the position where we're strong in him or we're that, at the highest star, right, the height of our game, that the love of God is greater. But it says here in the songs, and it attests to it in the word of God, that he reaches down to the lowest hell. It doesn't matter how far you go. It doesn't matter how far you walk away from him or how far your, your faith starts to fade. Christ is there. That is committed love. That is love that says he will not, the love of Christ will not be separated. His love is, uh, his love for us is beyond all comprehension. His love for us is beyond destruction, beyond, beyond all love. Paul describes some of those things, like I said, tribulation, trouble, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. These things make you feel like he's not with you anymore, but that's where we have to stand even stronger. Tribulation meaning, listen to this definition, definition. Um, uh, to, of uh, tribulation that was in Strong's. Pressure so great that it produces internal pressure, making you feel confined, restricted, hopeless, with no way of escape. Have you ever felt pressure so much that you felt that the pressure was so bad, the trial was so bad, that you are restricted, hopeless, with no way of escape? We've all experienced it at some time. And that's when the love of God is greater. That's when you don't say, God, where are you? That's when you're thanking God for his love, his mercy, and his grace, because his eye is upon you, and he will not stop. In Isaiah 43, 19, 
He says he makes a way where there is there seems to be no way. So even though the enemy through a tribulation makes you feel that it's hopeless and there's no way to escape, nothing's ever going to change, the Bible says something different. He says that the Lord makes a way where there seems to be no way. We try to figure it out in our mind. We need to just let it go. We need to trust God and say, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this, but I know that your word is true and you're going to make a way where there is no way. Then he says, well, trouble or great distress or anguish or persecution. Persecution literally means the hunt to bring someone down like an animal, trying to suppress them, punish their convictions. So when you, can, when you stand for Jesus Christ, there's somebody trying to, to hunt you down and tear away your, your convictions so that he stops your voice. And he said, Paul is saying, even that will not separate you from his love. Well, famine or nakedness, lack of the basic needs of life, being in want or need, we all experience this time where you're in want or need. Does that mean God doesn't love you? Never. It means he's on his way to rescue you. You have a chance to prove him and prove him in his love. And then he says, or even a sword, even a drawn sword to threaten your life will not separate you from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul knew the importance of the knowledge of God's love. He prayed it often for the churches. When you pray the, those apostolic prayers that we've been talking about, Paul over and over and over again would talk about God's love. It's the simplest and all, sometimes we look for the deep things, right? But the love of God is the most important force in our being to make us stand and to, to make us believe. We have to know that God is love, agape love, greater than we can even understand. Ephesians 3, he prayed this. He goes, I pray that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through your spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the width and the length and the height and the depth, and how to know the, the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you will be filled to the fullness of God. So to, to understand, he says, I want you to be filled with the love of Christ, which surpasses your knowledge. You can't, you can't intellectualize it. You don't understand it. But he goes, I'm praying for you to have the great revelation of this because what's going to happen when you get the, this great revelation, you are going to be filled with the fullness of God. That's pretty powerful. To know the love of God will fill you with the fullness of God, the fullness of the Father. May you comprehend and know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, you will be filled to know him. In Romans 8:38, I am convinced, this is in the Amplified, for I am convinced and continue to be convinced beyond any doubt. I like how it's worded. I am, I am standing in 2022, and I am convinced I'm going to continue to be convinced beyond any doubt. Anything the enemy throws, anything the world has, any tricks, right? doesn't matter. Whatever happens in 2022, I am convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities nor things present and threatening nor things to come or powers or height or depth, depth any other created thing will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's unlimited. It's unfailing. It's never ending. Never, never ending. We can't, we can't even comprehend, right? Because today, you know, you have love and then you don't. You have love and then you don't. That's not God's love. God's love is never ending. The greatest promise in all the world is that Jesus Christ, the living one, dwells in us and wants us to believe the truth of these words in the Song of Solomon. It will result in unshakable faith that he and he alone holds the flame of love for you that cannot be compromised, cannot be stolen, cannot be swept away by famine, 
persecution, peril, sword, or any, or even our own tainted emotions. Our emotions just shut down, and they say it's not true. Sometimes just talking to people about the love of God, you can tell they just shut down anything about the promises of God. It's like they're thinking and they're processing, but we have to receive it in our spirit, right? We have to know that it's true. If God is for us, who can be against us, the scripture says. Maybe it seems like everyone is against you. It doesn't matter because God is the majority. He is the majority, and so we don't have to fear. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? What charges can sweep you away from his flame of love? The enemy brings charges of our past, of our failures, but it, does, but it does not hold up in the courts of God. You need to understand that this year. If the enemy comes and reminds you of your failures, you're in a mess by your own doing, it doesn't matter. It cannot hold up in the court of God because the Lord sees us free. He sees us covered. He sees us renewed and changed, and he sees his purposes coming upon our life. God is the one who justifies. So who is the one who can condemn? Christ Jesus is he who died, but rather raised, and he is the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us. He intercedes, he goes and prepares a place for us. He's always with us, and our petitions are inscribed on the palm of his hands, it says in the book of Isaiah. Many waters, again, cannot quench love. We live in a day where darkness is invading rapidly, and we must remember that his light still penetrates. He is light, and there is no darkness in him. So we abide in him and stay connected to him. In his light, we see light. If we gaze too long at the world, which we know, if we gaze too long at it and all its problems, you are going to lose your hope. If you watch every YouTube video out there, if you watch every conspiracy video, you're going to lose your hope. You've got to stay. You're not, your head's not in the sand. You understand the things that are happening. But we choose to look to God, Jesus Christ, who is the author of all life and who is the King of kings and Lord of lords and above everything, above every conspiracy. If we look too much at our inabilities, we lose hope. Our frailties and individual problems, we lose hope. Hope is the anchor of our souls, and hope is in Christ. Hope is his love. Hope is in the promise of his spirit. We should have hope, and we should proclaim hope. The hope anchors us in every storm, and we will not be swept away from the power that it possesses. In Song of Solomon is a perfect example of the bridegroom and the Christ, of the bridegroom Christ and the bride. She says, this is a quick story. Really, it says Solomon in verse 11 of chapter 8. It says Solomon had a vineyard in Balhaman. He entrusted vineyards to the caretakers, and that's where you get the Shulamite woman. There are many views, like I said, about the book, but I just want to give you a really quick two-paragraph outline so you understand. It says he leased it out to this Ephraimite family. The husband and a father had apparently passed away, leaving the mother at least two sons and two daughters, the, the oldest of which is the, the woman in the story. Her brothers made things hard for her. She says, my mother's sons were angry with me. She was constantly battling with them and them were her. And her, she says, my own vineyard I have not kept, meaning she was so busy and life was hard for her. It goes on and on throughout the book. You can read it. But a stranger shows up one day. She meets the shepherd coming through the field. And the theologians where you read, they said it was, it was Solomon himself, is what they believe, because he owned the vineyard. And he was just there for a season, but dressed like a shepherd. He wasn't dressed with his crown. He was just walking through the fields. And she happens upon him, and he on her. And, and then he says to her that he saw her without blemish. He fell in love with her and her with him. But then he promises to return for her and make her his bride. Sound familiar with us in the end times? Yeah. 
So she continues to search for him, her, her, soul, her soul loves, all through, all through the book. And her brothers are skeptical still, and they mock her. And it says that the watchmen, even the streets, when she goes looking for the shepherd, they start to beat her. She continues to look, though. He's gone for a long time. She would dream of him in the darkness and just trusted him in spite of all the things that were happening around. Then one day, a huge procession arrives, and she's told that the king, king is requesting her. She goes out to meet him, and then when she looked into his face, it turns out that the king was the beloved that she had been looking for. Her shepherd was the king, and she didn't even know it. And to me, that's sometimes how the love of God is. We don't realize that the shepherd that touched us in the beginning, right, that we fell in love with, and he started to touch our heart and burn a flame in our heart, we don't realize the greatness and the magnitude of this magnificent king. We still see him as shepherd, and we should. He loves us, right? But when he comes back, he's not coming back as a shepherd. He's coming back for his beloved, and he's coming back as a king. And she professes the king is her shepherd who has won her heart, and that's where she declares, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Everyone else was wrong. Everyone that said he would not return was wrong. He did come back, and he did rescue her. We do know this. No matter what you think about the book, whether you think it's an allegory or whether it's literal, we do know this. It's in the word of God, meaning what? It's inspired. It's breathed upon by God himself to show us something, to teach us something. And what does he always want to teach us? Have hope. I am returning. Have hope. I am alive. Have hope. I'm more than what you see. I'm not just a shepherd. I'm not, I'm not only that. I am so much more. I want, I'm going to come back and show you my kingdom. I'm going to come and take you to myself. Isn't that what Jesus said? I go to prepare a place for you, not just for you, for all of those that you touch while you're here on this earth. I'm going to go prepare a place, and you will be with me always. So we need to understand this ourselves. His desire is towards us. His love is great. It sounds like a fairy tale to many. You know, when you write it out, you pen it out, and you talk to people, you can just tell it feels like a fairy tale, but it is not a fairy tale. This is real. This, is, this, is, this has more the greater reality than anything you've ever known. So it's not a fairy tale. Our faith that our shepherd is returning is not a fairy tale. The prayers that we are still believing to be answered will not be recorded in novels and fairy tales. He will come for his own, and he will deliver and bring freedom to his own. He will comfort. He will refresh. He will provide. He will re reveal himself as king. And that's why the Bible says that everybody would fall on their knees, and they will declare and profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When they see him, they're going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. When his bride sees him like that, we're going to say, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. It's a greater depth of his love. So, and she, so she encounters the shepherd in the field. He became the flame in her heart, and that flame became within her in every circumstance, the burning that drove her to continue to seek for him. And she said, many waters cannot quench this love. The king was true to his word. He was returning, and she saw him for who he really was. He is still caring. He's still caring shepherd, but he returns as a governing king. The shepherd we follow wants us to see him as king. He wants us to know that he is above it all. He will govern all. He's above governmental rule. He will provide for his bride. He is above economic decline. He is the king of peace. He will give us peace and chaos. His love will never fail. His power cannot be taken. We need to know that. In every chaotic time, in every place of unbelief, he's there, and he's going to rescue. He's our shepherd king, and he never takes his eyes of fire off his children. He has a purpose. He is mantled with zeal, and the fuel that he carries is love, is agape love. 
in Isaiah 59, 17, it says, he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself with zeal as a cloak. That is God, God the Redeemer. The prophet here introduces him as going forth to vindicate his people like an ancient warrior. Think about that. He comes to you to vindicate like an ancient warrior. So how could we ever fear? Let the eyes of your heart see the Lord greater than you've ever seen him before. We know in the book of Revelation, quickly, we know that John, the apostle John, knew the Lord. I've said this before, but he knew the Lord. He was his beloved, right? He would lean upon him, and he was always close to him. He would call him rabbi. He knew he was a teacher, and he leaned against him. But then you you have a uh, a scripture here when he's on the, the island of Patmos, when he has a revelation, when he has a revelation, when Jesus himself appears to him. And it says, it words it out like this. Revelation 1.12, I think I'll start from, it says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Because it says, he said, I saw in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Like a trumpet is all he heard. He didn't hear the master's voice. He heard a loud trumpet. And in verse 12, it says, I turned to see the voice who was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of that, the son of man clothed with long robe and golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white like wool and like snow. He had never seen Jesus like this before. But listen to this. It said his eyes were like a flame of fire like a flame of fire. And then it says his feet were like burnished uh, bronze. And it says his voice was like the roar of many waters. He didn't hear him the same way he heard him when he was, in, when he was with him and learning and he was teaching him. Now he saw him differently. And his mouth, it says, came out a two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full length. And in verse 17, it says, as we all would do, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, feet as dead. We would all just fall at his feet as dead, and yet he's the, the lover of our soul. This was the fullness of his glory. Overwhelmed with his glory, power and might caused him to fall at his feet as dead. He would never doubt his love, his power, his ability to complete anything concerning him again. He saw him as king. He saw him as the majestic king. And that's my point. The, the shepherd the shepherd in the, the book of Song of Solomon, the Shulamite woman, she knew him as shepherd, but something greater happened, right? Because the love of God was increased in her. The love of God was increased in John. He saw him differently. His eyes were filled with flames of fire. And it, he tells, says again in Revelation 2 and 19, the same thing. I saw his eyes were like a flame of fire. The flame is a description. It could read like this. His eyes were living, ever living beauty, like the flame of moving fire dancing with purity and power, the source of all life. So when he looked at his eyes, it wasn't some like scary movie where I, like his eyes were like flames of fire sticking out like that. It was a description of the purity of who he is, the love that was inside of him, the creation himself radiating out of him. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine, but I know that it's true. So the flame within the Godhead is a consuming fire. It's the power of love. John no longer saw him as rabbi. He now is face to face with the power source of all creation, a strength that cannot be defeated. This is where our eyes must rest on the dark, not on the darkness, but on his power to come and deliver, rescue, and adjust this world. It's his world, and he is standing ready to show himself strong. He is still king and ruler of all. He can accomplish all things for us. He can and he does protect us, but we are now in a time where our faith needs to see him and it's all his fullness. He is a shepherd, but he is coming with vengeance for the wicked and redemption for his own. Be persuaded this year and be convicted. 
confident, convinced, I mean, and confident that he loves his people. The fire in his eyes are the love for his bride, like the song says. The fire in his eyes is that passionate love for his bride. I've seen you suffering too long, and I'm coming for you. I've seen the trial that you've been in, it's been wearying you, and it's, it's causing you to despair, but I'm coming to rescue you. You need to understand his love. He's coming to rescue you. He understands the, the things that you're going through day by day, and month by month, and year by year, and he, and he sees how we grow faint and weary and tired, and he doesn't just come to John. He doesn't just come to the Shulamite woman. And he comes to all of us here, and he wants to encourage us. He wants that flame of fire. He wants it in our hearts. He wants us to know, listen, I love you. When I say I love you, I'm, there's substance to it. There's actions to it, right? He accomplishes all things for us, but for the wicked, not so much. Isaiah 66, 15 says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Those who are against his children, that's what he's going to do. So the waters cannot quench his love, and they will, they will prevail. His love continues and carries us through. His voice is like a, the Bible says, the voice of the Lord is like um, many waters, rushing waters. And that's how John heard him. But it was a discernible voice, right? It says in, in Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is over many waters. So every situation you have, you're still going to hear the voice of God. But John could discern that voice. Even though he said it sounded like a trumpet, he understood what God was saying. Isn't that amazing? The same thing happened to Moses. But as he said, I heard him like his voice was like a trumpet, and yet for him it was discernible. For him he understood it. For us, we are going to understand what he's saying to us in, in uh, the times that, that are ahead, even if it's not horrible times in the nation, even if it's for your own life. And really quickly, one last thought about Ezekiel for all you freezing out there. How you doing, right? Um, in Ezekiel... Ezekiel is, a, is an exciting, I came upon this a few, um, a couple months ago, and it was just so blessed me so much. So in the book of Ezekiel, it starts where he's actually, he had been taken into captivity five, five years before. Ezekiel was from the family of a priest who had been living in Jerusalem during the first Babylonian attack on the city. And so during that attack, they didn't burn everything and destroy the city, but they took the, the first rush of people into captivity, and Ezekiel was among them. So when the book of Ezekiel starts in chapter 1, he had been there five years, and he's now 30 years old. He says, as I was among the exiles in Shabbat, the, the canal, the heavens were open, and I saw a vision of God. And it goes into this crazy vision. When we read it, we go, what the heck is that, right? You know, all the foreheads and all that kind of stuff. But when you understand what's happening, it's this unbelievable faithfulness of God that the purposes in his children cannot be denied even in captivity, even in physical captivity. So he's there at the river, and he's there by the canal, and the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the son of, of Bushi, whatever, however you say that, and the hand of the Lord came upon him. He had been five years in captivity, a priest from the priesthood of Zadok, and his purpose in life was stalled and hindered. That's what you need to understand, because at age 30 is when they were installed into the priesthood. But how can he be installed into the priesthood where he had been now five years in captivity with no hope of leaving Babylon, right? But he was called to be a priest, so how could he ever be in Jerusalem and function the purpose that God had for him? It wasn't happening in his eyes. He was in a pagan land. There was tribulation, trouble, and distress, but what can separate us from God's love? Trouble, persecution, famine, distress. We already said that there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from the Almighty. So in his 30th year to be installed as priest, um, all of a sudden he has a vision, and he sees a storm cloud approaching. Inside the cloud he sees four strange creatures having outstretched wings, each having four faces, four wheels underneath them. And upon the wings was a brilliant platform, and upon the 
platform was a throne, and upon the throne was a human-like creature glowing, shrouded in fire, and then all of a sudden he realizes that what he's seeing, he calls it the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. The glory of God comes to him. Again, this is not a fairy tale. These things that we're reading today are not fairy tales, but they could be to some. But God Almighty comes to visit him in his 30th year. And he says, and above the spans over the heads where the likeness and the throne appeared to be like sapphire, sorry, sapphire, and (laughs) stuttering from the cold. And seated above him on the throne was the likeness of a human being. And he said the likeness was the appearance of one of the glory of God. I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. And what was he speaking to him? What he was speaking was the call. It says in chapter 2, and it's only one, two verses in chapter 2. He says, then he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet. Ezekiel, 30 years old, in captivity. Stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to me, The Spirit entered me, and he set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me, and he said, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel. And then later on on, underneath it says, And they will know that a prophet has been among them. So here he is, 30 years old, in the priesthood. I am. (laughs) So then here he is, 30 years old, and the priesthood is, 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 uh, it looks void, null and void, like there's no hope for that to ever happen. But we see that the faithfulness of the father came to Ezekiel in his 30th year and commissioned him himself. The Ark of the Covenant came to him. Doesn't that blow you away? So he wasn't hopeless. It wasn't endless for him. So he comes to him and he commissions him to service into the temple in captivity. How could he ever be established as a priest? He figured that was hopeless, but God sits on the throne above all circumstances and his love never fails. He is greater, larger than it all. What can stop him? Could exile, captivity in a foreign heathen land stop the love, purpose, and and the power of God? Can any circumstance or person stop your purpose on this earth? You may not be in captivity in a foreign land, but find yourself in captivity in your own home. Some people are. In their own homes, they are captive. On your job, you could be captive. In your own mind, you could be in captivity. You can't get free from your thoughts. You may have thought something will, something will never change, and it's too late. It's gone too far. Any number of negative thoughts coming like a flood, leaving you with impossibilities to freedom, that's captivity. But Jehovah himself came to Ezekiel right on time. He came in his glory. He came in, and he had done in times past. He always comes on time. And as he is our God, he has come into our captivity and on time, the shepherd king. He is the God who rules. He will govern us. He will will cause us to bow to him. He will allow us to call him king. He is glorious living ruler. Again, many waters cannot quench love and neither can waters drown it. That's what I want you to know this morning. It doesn't matter what the situation, many waters will not stop it. Trials and tribulations, storms and disasters will not stop the promises of God to his people. He says when the enemy comes in like a flood, what does he say? The spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. We have the spirit of the living God. We're living in a day that many feel the intensity of the darkness. Many are in a place of questioning, fear, anxiety, and doubt. But the Lord wants us to leave here this morning knowing that the storms will come in 2022. They will come. They might come like a raging flood, and they might not. But either way, they are going to come, but we will not be swept away. Its force, its force cannot take us because we are hidden in him, in the promise of his love. 
We, his people, will not let the flame be extinguished. There isn't, any, uh, there isn't an emotional upheaval, a place of despair or hopelessness. There isn't a place of unrest and anxiety that God cannot invade and turn around. When God says, I love you, do not let that become familiar words that lose their power. The Redeemer, the fire in his eyes, the thundering of his voice, his arrival in captivity is coming to us, to his children. His love, his knowledge of his love takes us through victoriously. We can hear the words, God loves you, but we have experienced them only in the knowledge, and we need to experience them like the Shulamite and like um, Ezekiel did and like John has, and he's going to do that for us. So the Shulamite woman is a picture of our position in the time of trial and tribulation. She remembers the nearness of the shepherd, but doesn't fully realize the commitment and the power of his love. She doesn't understand the kingdom that he dwells in. She thinks that he has forgotten her, but he proves her wrong. After every battle, after every hopeless situation, we are to keep looking for him with heightened vision. Never stop. The eyes of our hearts seeing him in all his power, glory, and might. Many waters cannot quench this love. On God's part that this is true. And he says, he says, what can separate me from you? What could take you out of my hand? And we need to answer him like the Shulamite woman did. She said, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And I will set you, Lord Jesus, as a seal upon my heart, as a seal upon my arm. Many waters are not going to quench my love for the Lord, nor can rivers drown it. I will not stop seeking my God. My beloved, the most beautiful among thousands, it says, and thousands, Yeshua. And he's not just beautiful without He's also beautiful within. His love never fails. He is full of mercy and compassion and grace for his own. He will come over the mountains for his bride. The mountains cannot stop him. The waters of life cannot stop him from bringing fullness to our lives. He's the great shepherd, and he's the majestic king. He is Elohim who rides upon a chariot of fire to fulfill every purpose in our lives, purposes that we think have been thwarted. He awakens us with that love. And all this and more is the one that we have entrusted our hearts to. Keep believing in his love. Keep trusting in his promises. Do not despair. He has not forgotten not one prayer. He has not forgotten one prayer. Every single prayer is before him. And this year, seek him like you've never sought him before. Let him be the center of everything you do. And I pray that we would receive it today by faith because it's not something that you can grasp intellectually. You need to grab in your heart that he is coming for his bride. He has not forsaken us. And he wants us to seek him like the Shulamite woman. Expect him like Ezekiel did. He was just sitting in captivity. And all of a sudden, God showed up as he, in the Ark of the Covenant to his servant. Ezekiel, and that's what he'll do for us. He's not going to fail us. He's not going to let us down. You just have to know and believe the enormity of his love is beyond anything that you can comprehend. So don't try to comprehend it. Just trust this year, trust this week that he's going to come and touch you in areas that haven't been healed before, and he's going to do it. Trust him that he's going to deliver your family, your households. He's going to do it. 2022 can be the best year that we've ever had. Even in darkness, it doesn't matter. It could be the best year we've ever had because we're putting our hope not just in the shepherd, but in the king, right? Not just in um, the void, not just in the shepherd that we knew, like John knew, but we are going to see him high and lifted up. It's going to bring us to our knees. We're going to fall before him and say, you are God. How far I've fallen from you. But my eyes are open now. And do not despise small beginnings because when we first come to Jesus Christ, it's like a small, it's like a small beginning. But he grows in us. And he doesn't stop there. He challenges us to continue in him. So the love of God is greater 
The love is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. No matter where you find yourself, God is with you. You, you might be really high up and you might have fallen very far, but God will never, ever, ever stop pursuing you and he'll never stop delivering you. Stay warm. <laughs>